the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. For those of you who don't know the show or haven't listened to it before, welcome. I hope you enjoy the show. Our show is in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. The second part of the show, we talk about history, politics, religion. And for those of you who know, a lot of people ask me, what's the idea behind elder law? The idea behind elder law is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through probate, and especially with elder law trying to save assets from nursing home bills. And if you have any questions about that, you can give us our office a call. You'll hear our commercial in, in the middle of the show or whatever. And in the second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion. Today, we have two different guests. We, we have Buzz Patterson, who's running for Congress in California in one of those swing districts. And Buzz Patterson was the lieutenant colonel who carried the football for Bill Clinton. For those who don't know what that means, he had the nuclear codes and he was with Bill Clinton all the time. He did write a book about Bill Clinton a few years back called Dereliction of Duty. Our second guest is a prolific author. His name is Samuel Mitchum, and Beth, he's from uh, Monroe, Louisiana. And that's not very far from where I was born. Right, Monroe right. Monroe is the big city north of where I was born in Columbia, Louisiana. Okay, so we're going to be talking to him about the Civil War. It wasn't about slavery, at least according to Dr. Mitchum. Now, we've also got in the, the studio here today, we have my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. And one of our attorneys, Lloyd, who's been on the show quite a bit and probably more than uh, most of the other attorneys here. Hello, but everybody. But in any event, let's start. Beth, you're first up. What's our first question? Okay, this is from Jessica. Dear Mr. Connors, which New York Medicaid program would my mom need to apply to for home care services? Medicaid waivers slash home and community-based services seems to have more favorable asset limits. However, my understanding is that there may be a wait list for this waiver program. Could you provide some insight on this? Okay, well, well, here's the thing. I assume mom's over 65 because you're writing about your mother. So I, I would assume mom's over 65. If she's over 65, the easiest way to go is through the Home Care Community Medicaid Home Services. And basically, if you're over 65 and you have less than $15,000 worth of liquid assets, you're eligible, and the exact number, by the way, is $15,750 as of January 1st. If you're under that amount, you qualify for 
home care community Medicaid. Now, if you want home care services, the doctor is going to have to say that you need the services. But that would be the easiest way to go under these circumstances. And you might say, well, wait a minute. My mother has $50,000 in the bank. How does she? She's not eligible for Medicaid, I guess. Well, here's the thing. If she has $50,000 in the bank, she can take $35,000 out, give it away, or put it in the trust tomorrow, and on the first day of the month following the transfer, then in that case, she's eligible for home care Medicaid. What if she's got two, $3,000 a month income? Well, it works pretty much the same way. We have one assets for trusts. We have another well, We have an, uh, for, uh, another trust for income. It's called a pooled income trust where somebody, let's say, have $3,000 a month income. Roughly, they can put about $2,000 a month of their income in a pooled income trust and be eligible for home care Medicaid the first day of the month following the transfer. So if you can get it done during the month of January, you can apply February 1st. It's not quite as easy as how I make it out to be, but that's how it works in general. And, and again, you can always come to Connors and Sullivan and ask if you have questions about that. All right, that's one question down. What's question number two? So we have a uh, question. Lloyd, Lloyd, where where did you go to law school? Um, so I went to law school uh, in Case Western Reserve University. That's in Cleveland, Ohio. So I also went to law school back in China. It's called a uh, Southwest University of Political Science and Law. Okay, so what's the difference between the Chi- in twenty five words or less? What's <laughs> the difference between the Chinese system of law and the American system of law? So in 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 the Chinese law schools, you read statutes, codes, and everything, but here you study case laws, you study all the precedents, and you actually read the opinions from the judge. I think that's the biggest difference. Okay, so let's go to the question. So we have a question from Lin Mari. So. She's saying, I'm a widow, and I have two adult children. I have my bank accounts with my daughter, but my will says everything is split, evenly between my daughter and my son. Should I add my son to my bank accounts with my daughter? The answer to that, and this is a question that comes up all the time. Some people think, you know, I have a will, but all the bank accounts are left to one child. Well, the, the problem with that is legally that bank account passes to one child. There's no obligation to divide assets that are in trust for a joint. And a lot of people don't realize that. A will only controls, for better or worse, a will only controls assets that are in your name alone. A will does not control assets that are joint with someone else. So one of the things you can do is put your son, add your son's name to the account. And another thing you can do, depending on the size of your estate, you put assets in a trust, and in the trust, the trust agreement says that everything that's in the trust gets divided 50-50 between your two children. You could have both children as trustees. So, But yes, if you, if you just have a bank account, and that leads to a lot of fights after somebody's gone. You have a bank account, your name joint with someone else, because let's say your your daughter lives here in New York, your son lives in California, and you say to yourself, well, it's just it's easy to put my daughter's name on the account, and I have a will that splits everything 50-50. That's not the way it works. Now, a lot of families, believe me, a lot of families get along, they can shake hands, there's no problems. But every once in a while, when a parent dies, the children fight over money. And that's why you should have very clear plans on, on where you're going. You, you know, your estate plan should be very clear, no confusion where you want your assets to go. Now, let's try to squeeze one more question in here before the break. Michael? All right. Dear Mr. Connors, my wife passed away three years ago. I have one son and want to put his name on the deed and take my name off. He lives with me and takes care of me. I have friends telling me this should be no problem and it will make it easier for my son when I'm no longer here. I'm told I just need to make sure I have a, quote, life estate on the new deed. Is this true? That's Nancy from Queens. Yes and no. Yeah, it'll make it very easy for your son, but I, I don't like a life estate on the deed by itself. I prefer a trust. Now, here's why. If your son's married, God forbid he dies before you, his share of the house may pass to his spouse, and you 
may have no problems being partnership on your house with your son, but do you want to be on partnership with on your house with your daughter-in-law? Your son passes away. Your daughter-in-law owns the house. She gets remarried. Your house may go to an absolute stranger. There are other bad things that can happen just by putting the son's name on a deed, even with a life estate. You know, you put your son's name on the deed. He gets in a car accident. He gets sued. Let's say the example I use in our seminars a lot, he hits a school bus. Children are playing in the back of the bus. They're not responsible. Your Your son hit the back of the bus. Those children have a lawsuit against your son. His insurance doesn't cover everything. Those children have a judgment against your house. You can't sell a mortgage your house for 20 years. That's a problem. Two, tax-wise, you know, you put your son's name on the deed, even subject to a life estate. If you sell the house while you're alive, assuming your son doesn't live in the house with you, and there's an exception to every rule, but assuming your son doesn't live in the house with you, he sells the house, or you both sell the house, you have no problems with your son, uh, you both sell the house, well, he's going to pay tax on his share of the house because he doesn't live there. And most of the time when we're talking to people, you know, there's a huge capital gain. Somebody paid $50,000 for the house 30 years ago, and it's worth a million dollars today, and you got a $950,000 gain. There are some exceptions if you own the house, but if if you don't own and live in the house, and it's both own and live, your son may have to pay income tax on his share of the house, and that's not good. And, 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 and one of the worst things could happen, God forbid, you get in a fight with your son. You want to sell the house. You want to mortgage your house. Your son says, no, you're dead. You've given away your right to change things. And so let's say right now your son's single. He gets married to somebody you can't stand. You're afraid you leave the the house to your son. He's going to leave it to his wife. And you're not crazy about that. You want to leave it maybe to his children from a previous marriage. You can't do that with a life estate. So that's why we recommend a trust. You still keep all your tax benefits. You're the owner of the property for your lifetime. And if something happens to you, it still goes to your son. But you have the right to change your mind. You know, in a trust agreement, you can change your mind. You can leave the house not to your son, maybe to your grandchildren, whatever. And I know 90% of the time you leave the house to your son, you're not going to change it. I understand that. But for that 10% of the time, you don't want to be in a problem. You don't want to be in a situation where you're handcuffed. Things can happen. You need a reverse mortgage. Your son says, no, you're stuck. You can't sell or mortgage the property or do anything without your son's consent. And let's say you're getting mortgage the property. Let's say your son goes through bankruptcy. There may be a bankruptcy lien against your house. And again, you can't sell or mortgage your house until that bankruptcy lien is is paid. A lot of bad things can happen. That's why we ordinarily recommend a trust agreement. It's your house as long as you're alive. After you're gone, it passes directly to your son. There's no estate tax right now in New York under $5,850,000. There's no federal estate tax under $12 million. There's no capital gains tax. Capital gains taxes are wiped out by death. You protect that house from nursing home bills. The trust agreement is usually the you know the best way to go in some of these circumstances. Each week from Monday through Friday, Kevin McCullough asks one of the questions sent by you listeners on his show, and we replay it on this weekend show. So take it away, Kevin. Hi, Kevin McCullough. And of course, it's uh, that time of the week where we promise you that Mike Connors of Connors and Sullivan will answer one of your legal questions as it pertains to estate care and elder law. And Mike, this week's question comes from Cindy. She says, Mike, I don't understand why if I have a will and my will says that my daughter gets my house when I die, it has to go through probate. Good question, is it not? It's a good question. A lot of people really don't understand this. A will is not valid to transfer assets unless a judge rules that the will is valid. That's the court proceeding called probate. If you live in New York, it's called the surrogate's court, New Jersey also. So until the surrogate's court judge says this is a good will, it cannot transfer assets. 
And yes, it has to go to court. Now, if you have only one child, obviously nobody's going to contest the will, but it's still a court proceeding. It's still red tape. It's still bureaucracy. Ordinarily, in that case, we'd want to put the house in a trust so the daughter can get the house the day after the parent is gone. And it makes it so much more simple to deal with. And, friends, <clears throat> it's those kinds of uh, direct uh, helps that uh, Connors & Sullivan specialize in helping you identify and making sure you're prepared for. So why don't you call them today, have them take a look at your uh, will, your end-of-life planning, your estate care. All those things that uh, you have questions about, call them today, get an appointment, or attend one of their free seminars, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. You can also send Mike your questions at AskMikeConnors at gmail.com, uh, and be listening for him to answer a question every week here at Kevin McCullough Radio, or Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock on AM 570, The Mission, and 102.3 FM, uh, or Sunday mornings at 11 on AM 970, The Answer. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you again, Kevin. And, and again, don't forget to listen to Kevin on 970 The Answer, Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock. Of course, he has an extended hour on Wednesdays with John Katsimatidis at 4 o'clock. Also, you can hear Kevin on WMCA, The Mission, Monday through Friday at 3 o'clock. So thanks again to Kevin. Our next guest is going to be Buzz Patterson, retired military officer, used to hold the football for Bill Clinton, and he's running for Congress in California. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. 
Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Our guest right now is Lieutenant Colonel Retired Buzz Patterson. And some people may remember him. He he did a book a few years back, Dereliction of Duty. But I understand right now that he's running for Congress in California. Welcome to the show, Buzz. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, Mike. I really appreciate it. I see in the notes here that for Bill Clinton, you used to carry the football. What does that mean? It uh, Wherever the president goes uh, and has ever since John F. Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis, wherever the president goes, there's a military aide, uh, a military officer by his or her side, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that carries uh, a large black satchel. It's actually uh, formally known as the president's emergency satchel. Uh, the military over the years gave it the nickname of the, the nuclear football. And uh, I was that person. I was the Air Force officer. Uh, that did that for President Bill Clinton uh, in the 90s. And as such, I had an office in the White House and a bedroom in the White House and was with, uh, with, that, uh, with President Clinton for two years nonstop. There's actually five military aides. Uh, I, I was the senior military aide. Uh, there's always one military aide with the president. And what we would do, say, for example, President Trump travels to, uh, let's say he goes to Canada. Well, there would be a military aide on Air Force One. Uh, it would also... Uh, be by his side on Marine One if we use Marine One, and then wherever he had events that night, uh, there would be an aide with him. And we would sometimes, President Clinton traveled frequently. So, uh, for example, my last trip with President Clinton was a, uh, a nine-country, 12-day uh, African trip. And we uh, so what we did was I was on the airplane with President Clinton, and then when I would arrive in, uh, we would arrive in, for example, South Africa was our first stop, Johannesburg. Then there was a military aide. Well, one of my one of my four brothers uh, would be there uh, waiting for me to get off the airplane. I would hand him the football. He would then go with the president, and I would go to the hotel and, and get some sleep, and then pick the president back up again on the other side. So, and it's everything the president needs, Mike. It's it's um, if you can imagine uh, the, what, what the president needs any time uh, he or she is away from the White House, uh, and it. To prosecute the military to either launch nuclear weapons or retaliate with nuclear weapons, there's a lot of other things in the football. It's very heavy. I can't go into a lot of specifics with you, but it's everything the president actually needs uh, 24-7 uh, anywhere in the world. And as we're, as we're speaking right now, President Trump has a military aide right next to him with the same football, the same responsibilities, the same obligations that, that I had back in the 90s. All right, let me ask you. Obviously, you got to see Bill Clinton up close and personal. And, and I know I know <laughs> the answer to this question, but how did you feel he handled the military? Uh, not very well. I, uh, that's why I wrote my first book, Dereliction of Duty. I, I, I wrote the book uh, after I retired from the Air Force in 2003. Uh, and I thought I think that he treated, much like Barack Obama, he treated the military as so, sort of a social engineering Petri dish. He he uh, he tried to push a lot of things through uh, militarily, militarily that really weren't really in our best interest in terms of readiness and, and um, war fighting abilities. Uh, Barack Obama did the exact same thing. Uh, I just think that President Clinton never fully understood the military. Uh, in, in fact, uh, I, I write about this in Dereliction also, where in my time at the White House, we had eight times to either capture or kill some of Bin Laden. Uh, President Clinton chose for political reasons every single time not to pull the trigger. And I think that uh, I, I know that uh, we wouldn't have had 9-11 if President Clinton had been a little more strident in in trying to uh, either capture or kill uh, kill that guy. And um, those are the kind of things that I think President Clinton 
embodied. He was he was very risk averse. He didn't like he didn't understand the military. He didn't like to utilize the military. And I and I wish he had done it a lot more. I think we would have uh, as a nation we would have uh, not had uh, some of the. Um, the nine eleven would not have happened uh, if he if he had been a little more strident in that regard. Why did you decide to run for Congress? I've been asked over the years, Mike, to run, and it just never felt right for me and my family at the time. But this time it does because I feel like I think we can all agree that the country is very polarized, um, and I think that we need uh, as a as a conservative. I mean, my two years at the Clinton White House definitely drove my ideology uh, further right. Uh, and I think we we owe it to President uh, Trump to give uh, give him the house back so that he can continue to do the things he's doing for our nation, for the economy, uh, and quite frankly for the rest of the world. And I was asked to run by the Republicans in California for uh, District Seven, which is Sacramento, uh, East Sacramento, up into the foothills. Uh, the guy that's been in that seat for the last six years, Dr. Ami Berra, has not done anything. He doesn't sponsor legislation. He doesn't sign legislation. He basically is in lockstep with Nancy Pelosi. Uh, and being a California native and, and living here, I just think it's time for California and for the nation to give uh, President Trump the house back. And there's so many reasons why I could I could tick them off, Mike, in terms of how this state has gone in the last 20 or 30 years under Democratic, quote unquote, leadership. I mean, the homelessness out here, the crime, the illegal immigration, uh, the, the high tax structure, uh, small businesses need, need need more help. So there's a lot of reasons why. But quite frankly, I just think it's time for California to become a place where people want to come visit and want to do business. And, and, and quite opposite right now, we are people are leaving California. The tax base is, is, is leaving here in droves. And I don't see it sustainable. This, this cannot be sustained for my children and their children going forward. So I, I want to make a difference. I want to get back to Washington, D.C. I'm not a politician. But I do have uh, I'm, I'm an outsider with insider knowledge, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I've been there, done that. I've done I've worked on the Hill. I understand how things work uh, in D.C., and I think I want to be part of the, the the solution and not part of the problem. Yeah, you know, I was shocked that we were out in California earlier this year, and I was shocked at the number of homeless people you see. I mean, I think just going one time into a Seven Eleven, I was accosted by three homeless people. Yeah, you know, it's 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 it's, it's shocking, isn't it? I think yes. that people who don't, who don't live here don't understand just the severity. You know, um, in in downtown Los Angeles, downtown Sacramento, downtown. Even even downtown San Diego and you know San Francisco, we have become almost a fourth world country in our cities out here, and I think it's something has to be done. When you have a when we have a governor who prioritizes, uh, for example, free medical care for illegal aliens, but we don't take care of our own citizens. And many of these citizens on the streets, unfortunately, Mike, are they're they're homeless vets. These are guys that have served and girls that have served you know multiple tours of duty in Afghanistan and Iraq. And they come home to a country and a twist state, and they can't they can't have the they can't find the basic needs, the basic housing. But we're prioritizing illegals over over our own citizens and our in our our vets. And I think that's just you know it's despicable. It's outlandish that we have a nation and a state that that does not um, want to step up for our own citizens first. And I also would say a lot of people. I've got a lot of friends across the country, and a lot of people say, you know what, California. We're, we're going to write them off. Well, I tell you what, the problems that we have here don't stay here. They move east as well. Uh, and uh, I think you're seeing that with MS, MS-13, a lot of the drug trafficking, a lot of the human trafficking that comes through California from our southern border ends up spreading east as well. And I think people need to understand that, you know, we're we're a huge economy out here. We're a huge state. 
with a huge population. And we have, we have chosen over the last 10 or 20 years uh, to put the wrong people in leadership. And, and you're seeing the results. Um, back in the 60s, California was, was, was you know, a great golden state. And we have we have come so far down from that uh, that that standard in the last 20, 30 years. And it's, it's due specifically to Democratic leadership. And I use that term loosely leadership, but that's why I want to run. I think we I think California uh, needs to be turned around and I think it'll affect the rest of the country in a positive way. How did California get so bad? And do you really think you can turn around? You know, maybe hopefully in part. But do you really think you can turn California around? I do. I think that uh, if you look at um it's going to be. It's going to, not going to be easy. It's going to be. A, it's going to be a tough slog. It's obvious. In, in the 2018, we got our clock cleaned out here. Dem- Republicans did in terms of Orange County, which traditionally is a very conservative area. There are conservative pockets of California. In fact, if you remove San Francisco, Sacramento, and Los Angeles, it is a conservative state, and uh, and we've had the wrong leadership. It's going to be a bit by bit. Uh, you know, I, I, when I'm elected, I, I will I will take care. I start start working on on, on Sacramento. Uh, hopefully, there'll be other Republicans out here that will be elected to the House and to the Senate. Um, Senate's a much much steeper uh, hill to climb uh, than the House. But you know, we have 53 congressional seats, Mike, out here. We only have seven that are held by Republicans. Uh, Ten years ago, it was 24 out of 53 were Republicans uh, in Congress. So we've lost we've lost dramatically in the last. 10, 15 years. And it's, it can be turned around. There are a lot of good people out here. There's a lot of patriots out here. There's a lot of folks who are, are gun-carrying NRA members out here. Uh, but it, 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 again, we have gotten to a point out here where San Francisco and Los Angeles decide our elections. Uh, and you can look at San Francisco and Los Angeles and realize there's a lot of problems there. There's a lot of if, if the homelessness and the crime uh, and the drugs uh, are out of control here. We've got to get, we've got, it's time for a change. I'll put it that way. It's time for a change. Well, so let me go just back. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Well, I uh, grew up uh, the son of an Air Force pilot. Uh, so we lived, uh, I was in uh, eight schools in 12 years until I went to college. I went to college at Virginia Tech, uh, graduated from Virginia Tech, and went in the Air Force uh, to become a pilot when President Ronald Reagan was our, was our commander-in-chief. I uh, spent 20 years in the Air Force, and I lived all over the world and flew all over the world in my 20 years in the Air Force. So I guess I don't really have a home. Mike, I think I was born in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. My, both my parents are still alive and kicking. They're from Chapel Hill. They live in Atlanta right now. So we lived around the world for the most part, and I've been in California for the last 15 years. Uh, my wife's from here. Uh, we have three children. We, we I like it here. Uh, I just think we need to... Uh, to rewrite or to reroute this airplane, we we got to we got to divert. We got to get off the the, the path we're on right now because it's not working well. Buzz, do you have a website? I do, Mike. It's a Buzz for the the, the uh, numeral for Buzz for Congress dot com. And um, for your listeners, I'm all over uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I've got a great campaign team, but I do all of my social media posts myself. So if people want to want to uh, get to me, they can they can email me at buzzforcongress.com, uh, or they can they can go on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and find me that way. And again, I do all of my social media myself. So I'd love to love to hear the folks. Buzz, listen, good luck. We need people like you running for Congress, and hopefully winning your seat. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, I think we've got a real good shot. It's a it's a toss up district, and uh, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna win it. I feel very comfortable saying that. I think we're going to be in real good shape. Believe it or not, in California, I think we're going to flip a couple of seats out here. And I want to join uh, Kevin McCarthy and Tom McClintock 
and Devin Nunez, who are all on that eastern border of California. So I'll be adjacent to those guys. I want to call them my peers, hopefully soon. Very good. Lieutenant Colonel Buzz Patterson, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, I I was looking at Regnery Press, and and there was a title that I jumped out at me. The Civil War wasn't about slavery. And right now, we're very pleased to have the prolific writer, Dr. Mitchum. Doctor, why wasn't the Civil War about slavery? Slavery was an issue. But uh, it wasn't the only issue, and that's the point of the book. Uh, The major cause of the war, in my opinion, was money. Um, Of course, uh, good friends of mine have objected. Uh, We've been kind of brainwashed over the last uh, 60 years. It was about slavery. But I asked those people, um, what was slavery about? And they asked, slavery was about money. Uh, I think... uh, 
Paul got it right in uh, 1 Timothy 6.10. Love of money is the root of all evil. And uh, I sometimes translated love of money as the root of all kinds of evil. And uh, certainly uh, it was the root of slavery. I mean, uh, the Africans and the uh, Muslim slave traders who originally enslaved the Africans um, uh, were doing it for financial reasons. Uh, they sold the slaves to the northern flesh peddlers who uh, brought them all to the New World, and they did that for money. And um, the uh, sugar producers in uh, Latin America and the uh, cotton producers in the South bought them for money. Uh, much of this was financed by people on Wall Street uh, in your own neck of the woods. Um, they took the slaves as collateral uh, uh, to secure their money in case the Southerners defaulted on the loans. They would get the slaves and sell them. So um, it, it was all about the big dollar sign. You know, most wars are about either money or territorial transfer of some kind or another, some form of wealth redistribution. And the Civil War is no exception. Um, there were uh, other causes. Uh, one of them, uh, of course, was what kind of government are we going to have? The uh, centralized government uh, of uh, Alexander Hamilton's model, where you've had a president with almost royal powers, Senate elected for life, strong central bank, a, a commercial state. Are we going to have a Jeffersonian model of states' rights and governs best, which governs least? I think that was a major uh, issue. But um, uh, we don't think of that today because it was settled at Appomattox. Um, uh, since then, the only real restraint to the federal government has been the federal government. And I, um, I don't think that's worked out as well as a lot of people had hoped. Do you think there would have been a war if there was no slavery or if slavery weren't the issue? Yeah, I think there would have been. Um, there almost was in uh, 1833 during a nullification crisis, which had nothing to do with slavery. Uh, the uh, North, uh, in control of the uh, Congress, up the tariffs, the taxes uh, on imports and exports of cotton uh, to astronomical levels, uh, uh, over 40%. And um, that almost led to a secession by uh, South Carolina. And the only reason it didn't is they, uh, both sides went to the edge of war. And I think both sides got a little scared of that and they didn't want to go to war, at least in 1833. And uh, they dropped the tariff. Um, so it was uh, the nullification crisis, and a lot of historians don't like to admit this, it was a victory for states' rights. In today's world, I, I think we're, we've almost forgotten states' rights. I mean, it's mentioned occasionally in some political debates or whatever, but can you, understand, can you, can you get the audience into the concept of what it was like in 1860, a couple of years before? What was the federal government's relation to the common person? Well, the federal government, uh, in 1860, about the only relationship the common person would have uh, with the federal government is when they went to the post office and they would see the U.S. flag. Uh, there, were no, there were no income taxes in those days. Uh, 
a mail delivery occasionally happened, uh, so I guess uh, we're uh, contacted there. But um, very little. Um, the federal government wasn't in every aspect of our lives, well, like you are now. Again, 1860 election, states start seceding before the Lincoln administration is uh, inaugurated. What was going through their minds, and, and why did they secede at that time? Well, it depends on the state. The Deep South uh, didn't want to be governed by a Republican. Um, I think uh, one of the things that's underestimated was the John Brown terrorist attack on Harper's Ferry. He wanted to start slave revolt, and uh, it was put down uh, by the Democratic president, uh, James Buchanan. He sent in Colonel Robert E. Lee and uh, Lieutenant Jeb Stewart and their men, and they uh, they suppressed it. But uh, some of the... Uh, Brown Raiders escaped, and those who escaped uh, to uh, uh, states governed by Democratic governors uh, sent them to Virginia, where they were hanged. Uh, the ones who were escaped to uh, uh, states that had Northern uh, Republican governors, uh, they wouldn't extradite the terrorists. And the South. Um, more than anything else, I think, the Southerners feared slave revolts. They remembered Haiti, where uh, tens of thousands of whites were slaughtered in a successful slave uprising. And um, that was at the back of their minds all the time. And they were afraid if there was a slave revolt, a Republican president like Lincoln uh, wouldn't use the government forces to help them. Um, then uh, can after you, uh, can we stop back a second? Can you explain the Haiti slave revolt? Because that was in the mind of a lot of people in the South. So can you elaborate just a little bit more? Because a lot of people I know have no idea what we're just talking about. Okay, um, in the early seventeen uh, nineties, there was uh, Haiti was uh, mostly um, uh, black, and uh, they organized the only successful slave revolt in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, and they killed any white, a baby in the crib to an old man, uh, rape, murder. A lot of these people escaped only uh, with the clothes on their back, and they ended up in the South with nothing, and they carried stories with them of the uh, atrocities that were committed. And there were atrocities on both sides. But um, the South saw this, and it rather shook them up because— uh, you know, if it could happen in Haiti, it could happen here was the attitude. And um, there was nothing I think a Southerner feared more, whether he owned slaves or not, um, than a slave revolt. The Nat uh, Turner revolt was a good example of that. Uh, it was rather ironic. One of the young men who just barely escaped uh, was the future Union General, George Thomas, uh, the Rock of Chickamauga, who saved the uh, um, saved the Union Army in the Battle of Chickamauga. Uh, but, now he, uh, was a, he was almost a victim of the Nat Turner? Yeah. Revo- I didn't know that. Learned something every day. Yeah, he and his uh, mother escaped with only the clothes on their back, and they were uh, heading down the road, and there was something coming the other way, and uh, they, their, heart, their hearts were in their throats. You know, is this going to be uh, 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 militia saving us? Or is it going to be uh, revolting slaves who kill them both, probably rape her first? Uh, and it was militia. Uh, they were saved. And George Thomas wasn't a particular great advocate of states' rights. 
No, no, he was not. He was uh, uh, he was a Virginian, but uh, he was a career Army officer, and he uh, he didn't have much use for secession. All right, now I even forget where we are as far as we we talked about the fear of Haiti slave revolt happening in, mm-hmm. in in the South, and that's what drove a lot of Southerners. The fears drove yeah. a lot of Southerners. We're talking about why they seceded. Yeah. Another thing was the tariffs. Uh, the Deep South seceded. Uh, they took their senators with them. And the first thing the uh, uh, Yankee uh, majority in the Congress did was ran through the Morrell tariff, jacked up the cost tariff on uh, cotton from uh, 24% to 47%. And that would have uh, uh, destroyed uh, the Southern economy if they'd still been in the Union. And that caused, I think, uh, the Upper South, Virginia, Tennessee, uh, North Carolina, Arkansas, uh, to leave the Union. Uh, They didn't have much use for that. And uh, also Lincoln calling out volunteers after Fort Sumner was the cause of that secession. Now, I think the audience might appreciate Lincoln's attitude towards slavery as the war progressed and what it was at the beginning of the war as opposed to the end of the war? Well, Abraham Lincoln never did have much use for black people. Um, he, he said it in the Union uh, uh, like 14 times in the Lincoln-Douglas debate. Um, Douglas was trying to pin the uh, racist uh, uh, applet on Lincoln by saying, you know, he wants the black people to be your brother. And Lincoln, of course, said he most certainly did not. He uh, Lincoln. Uh, uh, for many years, at least a dozen years, was a secretary of the Illinois branch of the American colonial uh, colonialization uh, society. And their stated goal was to send the blacks back to Africa. Whether uh, those blacks were born in the United States or not, they did not consider them Americans. And... Uh, he, uh, you say, he never was a big uh, fan of what later became African Americans. Uh, if he had been, he wouldn't have waited two years uh, during almost two years during the war to promulgate the Emancipation Proclamation. In fact, most people don't realize this, but there were two Emancipation Proclamations. The first one was issued by John C. Fremont of General Missouri. I freed all the blacks in Missouri. That was on uh, August 30th, 1861. And uh, uh, three days later, Lincoln revoked that uh, Emancipation Proclamation. And shortly thereafter, fired General Fremont. General Pratt in Maryland uh, also advocated emancipation. He was one of Lincoln's military advisors. Lincoln fired him, too. Um, Lincoln uh, uh, issued the Emancipation Proclamation for a couple of reasons. Uh, One of them was uh, uh, he didn't want uh, foreign intervention on the side of the Confederacy, obviously. Uh, But the upper crust in England and France uh, wanted uh, to, especially in France, because they wanted Mexico. And an independent confederacy would have allowed them to take it. But um, uh, Lincoln knew that the uh, working classes in Britain would not tolerate it if he could portray the war as a war to liberate the slaves. And 
that's why he issued it. Uh, one of the reasons, the other. Uh, he wasn't doing very well in 1862, 1863. The North was not winning the war. And um, <clears throat> he felt a slave revolt uh, would divert Confederate forces from the front, enable him to win some victories on the battlefield. Uh, fortunately for them, the black people were too uh, too smart to fall for that. I mean, uh, yeah. You don't want to fight the Confederate Army if you're armed with a pitchfork and a hoe. Because uh, those guys could be counted upon. They were good at what they did. And they could be counted upon to take no prisoners in the event of a slave revolt. So uh, uh, he got part of what he wanted. Uh, no diplomatic relations uh, from with the Confederacy in foreign countries. But... Uh, he didn't get everything he wanted from it. Let me ask you something. Obviously, your your, your comments now are somewhat con- controversial. Why'd you write mm-hmm. this yeah. book? Because um, I think the record needed to be set straight. Uh, history is a funny thing. Uh, most people don't even know what it is. They, uh, they think history is a study of the past. Uh, it's not. History is a study of the past with interpretation. And since about 1960, uh, Vietnam thing, we've got a rather radical interpretation of history. It was all about slavery. Well, it was if you leave out a lot of historic evidence. If you go back to the documents uh, before 1860, as I did in my book, you'll find there were several reasons uh, for the war. Now, slavery uh, was one of them, but it was only one. Uh, Northern corporate greed was a uh, uh, a factor. They wanted this tariff. They wanted subsidies from the federal government. And they got them. I mean, even the railroad industry, the uh, first uh, industry in American history to be worth a billion dollars, uh, got lots of uh, indirect and indirect federal funding. And uh, the South, which uh, contained uh, 29% of the population, uh, was paying over 82% of the taxes. And uh, then you um, add the Morrell tariff later, and it would have uh, doubled that. So uh, the the South didn't want to be an economic colony of the North, which could reach down and take its money anytime it felt like it. And uh, that was a reason for uh, one of the reasons for the war. Uh, And that was felt by people who uh, didn't own slaves. I mean, if it was all about slavery, you got to explain things like uh, Pickett's charge. Only 6 to 7% of Confederate enlisted men owned slaves. And uh, did you see the movie Gettysburg? <laughs> a few times, uh, yes. We had the director okay. on our show a few times and some of the actors. Yeah. But if you believe it was all about slavery, you've got to believe that those men charged into that hell uh, for somebody else's slaves. So somebody else could uh, keep his slaves and be rich. And uh, that kind of stretches credibility, in my view. Let me ask you something. We're talking about, you know, history. Yeah. We're, we're talking in the 21st century, and sometimes we try to put our values on on 19th century characters. What, <laughs> what about the monuments right now? What do you have? I think you would have a comment on that, taking down Southern generals and monument well, statues. Uh, it's uh, it's a continuation. It's not... This is uh, the Confederate monuments were picked, I think, because they're low hanging fruit. 
um, the left wants its own uh, heroes and nobody but its own heroes. Uh, they first uh, began by attacking Jesus. But uh, you can see, um, if you keep up with the news, um, that the southern monuments are just part of it. They want to uh, remove every, everything that's not a leftist uh, hero. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Lewis and Clark Monument, they want to take that down in the in Charlottesville, they were explorers. They had nothing to do with the war. I, I hate uh, to ask this question, but why? Do you know the reason why I would take Lewis and Clark down? Um, they were mean to the uh, Native Americans was one of the causes. I don't really understand why they want to. Yeah, okay. You know, ask somebody else about that. All right. The World War One monument in Albany, Georgia. They want to take that down. And what's the reason behind that one? I don't know. Uh White supremacy, some twisted thing. Um, I, I, I can't, I can't speak for those people. I don't want to take them down. My solution to the problem is put the monuments back and erect some more. <laughs> but, uh, All right, listen. But uh, that's just me. <laughs> Thank you for bringing your point of view. The book. It wasn't about slavery. Dr. Samuel Meacham, thank you for, you know, bringing history to life and for your perspective. It's really appreciated. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. The pro-life movement is winning. One of the signs of progress is the growing mountain of medical evidence that abortion harms women, men, and families. Even researchers who identify themselves as pro-choice are coming to this conclusion and publishing their research. Abortion advocates try to hide and bury this information. But so much of it continues to come out that their efforts to hide it will not succeed much longer. Abortion really destroys itself. The more it continues, the more it reveals itself as an enemy of the human family. Those who advocate abortion say they care about women's health. But if they do, then they will have no honest rationale for ignoring the harm that abortion does. As the mountain of medical evidence against abortion grows, so should our hope that it will end. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by a trio of sub sub hosts: Mike Connors, my son Hello, Lloyd, everyone. Hello, and my wife Beth. Beth, did did you know that uh, Doctor Meacham there? He was he's living in Monroe, Louisiana. You know Monroe, that's where I grew up, south of Monroe. Beautiful country, wonderful people. That's my family. Right. So you know and. You know, after 
the interview after we tape the interview. Most of you know, we tape our interviews usually a few days ahead of time. And that's why sometimes, you know, we're not relevant as to current headlines or whatever. We may be three, four days out. But, you know, one thing that may be relevant, next week's guest, Tim Wilson, is going to talk about, you know, what if there's a terrorist attack, a nuclear bomb exploded in New York or wherever, and, and how to survive that nuclear blast. So, uh, as long I'm, as you're not incinerated. Yeah, as long as you're not, as he would say, not incinerated. But he's an interesting speaker, as, you know, was Dr. Mitchum and Buzz Patterson. And Dr. Mitchum has a different view. I'm, I'm going to be very interested in talking to him in, in the next few weeks about some of the other books he's written, including a book about the lynching, about how people were lynched during the draft riots in New York in, in 1863. The Greatest Lynching, I think. Was the the Greatest Lynching is the name of the, the title of the book. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. you have any questions, you can give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Lloyd, thank you for being on the show again. Thank you for having me. And I think David Kincaid is telling us to say goodnight. All right, bye-bye, everybody. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC.